The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 12th chapter. Jesus said, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there's going to be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? This is the gospel of our Lord. Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. A very important hymn and just theme hymn for the Reformation as um, all the reformers were united in goal and purpose and continues to be our own church's um, battle hymn, if you would, as we trudge on through this world that is so confusing and strange with its messaging. We know that if the Lord keeps us steadfast in his word, then we have a firm foundation and our our hut, so to speak, will not sink into sand, as Jesus says. Um, Now, while the Jeremiah reading is tantalizing, while the Hebrews reading just, it preaches itself, I need to talk about the gospel reading with you because it's a Jesus we don't always get to see. You know, it's like, It's the difference between, like, um, someone showing you their wedding ring and then, or them taking off their wedding ring and you can look at it from every angle. That's kind of what this gospel reading is like. This is a, a facet of Jesus that isn't always preached, isn't always taught, is not always in the children's books when you're teaching your kids the Bible histories. Um, I want to make sure that it's clear to you what Jesus is talking about. Because he says something very hard to hear. He says, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring division. We all know that fire can either destroy or it can purify. So, You know, sometimes, uh, you know, maybe you guys have done this. I learned it up here when you're doing maybe groundskeeping and you have like those long like prairie grass type things in your landscaping. They recommend that you light it on fire and then 
it burns up when it's dry and whatever's living remains and the carbon from the burning actually fertilizes for next year. It's a very interesting uh, concept. It's, you know, the, our, our, we live on the prairie. It's easy to forget. Like, we're all pioneers. This used to be the West. Um, and uh, so prairie fires are an interesting concept, an important concept to our ecology. We, there, there's supposed to be a prairie fire, and it, it makes the soil richer. It um, allows for new growth the next time. It's fire as refining. But fire can destroy. Um, in a very serious way, we know people that are connected with the congregation that only recently, uh, in the last few months, their home burned to the ground and they lost everything they have. Fire can both refine and it can destroy. The linchpin here is that only the fire of God's wrath can purify and only the fire of God's wrath can destroy the power of sin in your life. When Jesus was baptized, all the way back at you know, the beginning of his ministry, he placed himself under God's wrath for humanity in our place because he would then go on to live a perfect life. He would live according to the law. He would be the perfect man, the new Adam, if you will, the, the perfect man that Adam could not be. He submits himself to God's law. He heals. He takes on the sins of the world. He knows that only he, as he says, he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. Only he can be baptized with a fire that will purify mankind of their sin, but it will also destroy sin. And that is what's so interesting. Um, you know, has anyone ever heard, uh, many of you made it through the 60s and the 70s, um, not water but fire next time. Is anyone familiar with this concept? Not water but fire next time. It's a promise from Jeremiah that God will not flood the world again, no, but he will bring fire on the world in his wrath to purify of sin. Sorry, a lot of folk songs about that. And so then we are brought into this concept and have to hold that there is baptism with water and there is baptism with fire the fire of God's wrath. And Jesus knows what that means for him is he has to endure the fire of God's wrath on the cross for the sake of our sin. And he wants to get that over with. He says, great is my distress until it is accomplished. We have all said this. I have a work paper that's due on Friday. How great is my distress until it is accomplished? Right? I have to get my kids to school. How great is my distress until it is accomplished, right? I have to get my kids to bed. How great is my distress until it is accomplished? Jesus' baptism is like ours 
in that he is baptized with water. But we have a complete baptism, one that incorporates water, spirit, and fire, because it's all of Christ's baptism together in one. What I mean when I say this is we actually learn this in 1 John, one of my favorites. He says about Jesus, this is he who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. The spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. These are the three that testify the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. John's an interesting guy. He's the only dude that stuck around to see Jesus die at the foot of the cross. He was there with Mary, the mother of God. He was there with Mary Magdalene and the other women that followed him to his death. John witnessed and testifies, as it's important, in John, the Gospel of John, when Jesus dies, they poke him in the side with a spear and water and blood come out. Water and blood, water, blood, and spirit testifying Jesus is God, the Savior of all who believe. Because this water and blood that flow out of his side, baptism and the Lord's Supper, are means by which Jesus forgives the world of its sin in this good, proper, whole burnt offering sacrifice. Jesus is the one sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins for all people. Lest people only believe on him and receive its benefits. For you see, there are specific means that God speaks to us with, meets us in, means of grace. He says, this is my body, this is my blood for you for the forgiveness of sins. He washes us in the water of baptism, and it says it saves you with the washing of regeneration and the spirit. And, of course, his word will not return to him empty. It will do what it will. It will create faith. It will break hearts as a hammer. It will restore and soothe with the gospel. Because Jesus suffered this fiery, watery, bloody baptism on the cross. Peace with God and man is now possible. It's wonderful. But unfortunately, it also, because of our sinful world, brings division. Watery baptism into Jesus' fiery death, brings peace with God and forgiveness of your sins. It brings peace for your troubled conscience, for your guilt and your anxiety, but it also garners hatred for you from the world, from the devil, from the evil desires of your heart that you just can't get to go away. But what it also does 
is it makes you continue to do what you would not like to do, yet know you should not do, such as cheat, lust, lie, be harsh in your headship as husband or father. And these are all things that will keep you from achieving peace on earth and goodwill amongst men. And so we constantly and daily each morning seek to be joined to and to be brought into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ by our baptisms. But we know that by joining ourselves to Christ's death and resurrection, we are bringing on, we are putting a target on our back, on our forehead, for the hatred of the world, for the hatred from the devil in all that we try to do. For the sake of the gospel. Why is this? It's because Jesus' death and resurrection is the strongest truth statement that has ever been made in the history of history. God died. God died for you. But then he rose from the dead as man for you. No one knows what happened to his body. No historian knows. Those secular historians, Roman guards, Jewish authorities tell us, where's the body? This is a historical fact that can either make you run away Or can make peace that no one else understands with random strangers that you meet in coffee shops and hotel lobbies across the world. Not even just America. People, unfortunately, often our friends and our families have a hard time with this truth statement of Jesus' death and historical resurrection. Because often people are running away from reality. And there's nothing more real than Christ's death and resurrection. Because people are constantly and daily running up and butting against competing opinions and truth claims that are being forced down their throats. And they don't all agree. Let me know if you've heard some of these. Love is love, even if that kind of love hurts and destroys. Be yourself, even though the self I would like to be is deceitful, unkind, and selfish. All of these lesser truths shrivel up in the light of Christ's glorious resurrection. Because if he rose from the dead, nothing else matters. If Jesus Christ rose, it means everything he said is true and everything he says goes. Because if you believe in him, you will rise with him on the last day. Not to hip pain and back pain and mental decline, but to glory like the only son of the father. 
What it means is what he says about marriage is true. What he says about the differences between men and women are true. What he says about ordering your home life is true. About raising your kids is true. It means if you forgive someone, they're forgiven. It means if you don't forgive someone, you are not forgiven. It means that all those who believe in his bloody sacrifice on the cross, who eat his flesh and drink his blood, who are born again of water and spirit, will have eternal life and live with him forever as your gracious Lord and master. Your life is worth living. God loves you in specific ways. This is a truth claim that you make every time you say the creed, whether at home or in worship, every time you sing a hymn, every time you commune here. You are confessing the truth claim of Christ's death and resurrection in a very specific way. Not everyone confesses the same Christ. People that we consider Christians often are not confessing the same Christ. And so we don't commune at their altars, and they don't commune at our altar. Why would we say this? Because of the importance of holding onto the truth. Maybe this is what Jesus is beginning to talk about when he says he does not bring peace but division. This side of his return when all things will be remade new and pure of sin, there is going to be disagreement. People are going to be convinced in their own minds, as Paul says. And so we need to coexist, you might say, next to each other. Some people believe this about Christ. Some believe other things. And when you assert, this is my body, this is my blood for the forgiveness of sins, a man is a man, a woman is a woman, God created all things, and he can forgive all things, even if you don't feel forgivable, or you feel that someone else's sin is not forgivable. We have made a truth claim that goes against and stands as an attack with the truth claims of others. And this is why we must allow the truth of Jesus' resurrection to be the cornerstone, his word to be the foundation of any unity of Christian churches, it must turn to nothing other competing false truth claims. God is clear in the Jeremiah reading. Pastors who teach their own opinion and not the foundation of the scripture will be punished. Secular thought leaders who lead you astray from God's wholesome word, will be punished. 
You can't just grab children's books off the shelf at the library anymore. Ask your kid, what did you learn at public school today? And you may be shocked to hear what they learned at public school. And so we let the word of God, what he calls his hammer, break away, have its way at the rocks in our hearts, driving us to repentance on our knees. But I want to leave you with a final, important, applicable part of this. Specifically, Jesus talks about the division that is created in households because of his truth that he is and embodies on this earth. He says two will be against three, three will be against two. It's not going to be an even fight. He's going to say mother is going to be against daughter, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Tell me if this sounds right. You are at a family party, and they go, hey, you're Lutheran, right? Why do you worship bread and wine? Does God really say baptism saves? Are you saying that someone can't be saved without a human work? How can a man forgive sins? How can you hurt people all week and then feel forgiven when that man says you are forgiven of your sins on Sunday morning? Be prepared to give an answer. Identify their question. Identify if they are saying this out of being personally hurt. Identify what they're asking. Are they struggling with the idea of baptism, with the idea of forgiveness because of something that's happened in their own past and you can help lead to healing? Look it up at the back of your Bible in the concordance, baptism. See the scriptures where it says baptism is mentioned. Read them in the verses around them. Be strengthened by God's word. Ask your pastor. He'll point you to 2,000 years of smart, holy people who have already answered your exact question. We don't have to do the heavy lifting anymore. And above all else, stay vigilant. Keep the conversation open. Don't be mean. Be nice so that they'll talk to you again, even if they're a bull in a china shop. And don't stand alone. Disciples don't do things alone. Go up to someone at church and say, I'm sad that my grandchild isn't baptized. Are you in a similar situation? Maybe your friend of 30 years will say, I'm dealing with the same thing too. Can we pray about it? Can we talk about what we've done in the past and have tried so far in our discussions with our family? And then you can actually pray for your sister, your brother in Christ. And God will work through prayer to change the hearts of his people. Your prayer is effective and working in this world. But remember, if you feel persecuted, attacked, mocked, maybe even forsaken by family because of Christ and his truth, Remember that you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. 
And so let's cling to their stories of faith, look to their stories of how they saw from afar what they could not have in their lives, yet held in hope to an eternal dwelling that God had designed and built. Run with endurance, the race that's set before your unique situation. And above all else, look to Jesus who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. In fact, I like to translate it the pioneer of our faith since we're here on the western frontier. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is right now seated at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.